Father God, we come before you. We come before your word together as a church, knowing that our identity as believers, the basis for our fellowship, the reason we gather is not about any man here, Lord, not about any person here, but it's about you. It's about Jesus. It's about you revealing yourself to us in your word and us responding to that. And so we pray, God, that as we come to your word and and we gather and we take communion later, Lord, that this time would be all about Christ. We pray, God, that he would be lifted up in the words I say and in our hearts as we receive, that we would see him in scripture and we would magnify him. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of John, the book of John chapter 6. My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Zoe, if you don't know who I am. Um, and uh, I wasn't scheduled to preach this morning, actually. Um, most of you know, but uh, Pastor Jesse's wife, Christine, she had a, a medical emergency a couple nights ago. So you can feel free to reach out to them after church if, if you haven't, uh, just to see how you can be praying for them. Um, but by God's grace, she is um, at home. And uh, things seem to be headed in the right direction. So we're thankful for that, and we praise God for that. Um, so we are in a series on First Samuel, but um, kind of due to the situation, we didn't want to uh, rush anything for uh, Pastor Jesse. So we're going to push that back a week or, or maybe two. Um, and we're going to take a short break, uh, just kind of to, to focus ourselves on uh, the gospel. In particular, I think in light of our small group series that is beginning, our community group series, uh, to talk about... Um, what it means to follow Jesus, right? Because we're talking about evangelism this series. We're talking about sharing the gospel. Um, but a lot of times, I think, in the church, we can have a few bad ideas about what that really means. So we're going to be in John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. We're taking a detour um, from Samuel, but we'll be back soon. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22 through verse 35. And you can read it with me. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of God. In 1846, 87 families left Missouri to go west and pursue the dream of finding a new land to live in. They were led by George Donner. At first, the journey was pleasant and easy, and there was actually a a diary entry from one of the young girls who was part of the party who said that in traveling this journey, she was perfectly happy, that everything seemed to be going as well as it could. But soon, if you know the story, things got much worse. Instead of going on the normal trail they're supposed to take, they took a shortcut that had been sold to them by a prospector. They took this new trail, which turned out to be much harsher than they thought. There was no grass for the animals. There were um, no roads really set for a party of their size with a bunch of young children with them. And soon they began to lose resources. They began to lose animals. Their wagons began to break down. And by the time they reached the Sierra Nevadas near California, it was winter. And they got up into the mountain and the snowstorm got them stuck by a lake in the mountains with 12 feet of snow. Four months passed with no additional food, no additional help, no additional anything. And by the time February had rolled around, half of the party, many of the men, women, and children had died. Now, the reason I tell you this story is that as I've been thinking the past few weeks, really, and and, and a few days about um, eternity, about the future, about things that have happened in our church family with sickness and death of family members and difficulties, the reality is that not everyone who begins a journey will finish. Not everyone who professes faith actually possesses it. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, as we read in our scripture reading, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And not everyone who sits in a pew on Sunday will stand on the day of judgment. And the Bible makes this very, very clear over and over again that this is the case. And in my experience as a pastor, there's no doubting that this is the truth. And the passage we read today, it doesn't seem to really uh, be about that at first glance. The passage we read today is Jesus talking in uh, almost uh, esoteric ways about him being the bread of life and these people asking him questions, not understanding what he's about. But the reason why we're in this passage today when we want to talk about eternity, is that in this passage in John chapter 6, Jesus shows us through his conversation with these quote-unquote disciples the reasons why many people who are with Jesus, who seem to be following Jesus, in the end, turn away from him. You see, in this chapter, uh, we read this conversation, but before this conversation, if you don't know what happens, is one of the most important miracles in the New Testament where Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? He feeds them miraculously with um, the bread and the loaves, and they eat their fill, and there's all these leftovers. And after that, the same night, he goes and he walks on the water. He shows his disciples that he is God incarnate. And so there's these amazing miracles in the beginning of John chapter 6, but at the end of John chapter 6, verse 66, so 666, you want to remember, John 666, it says, many of those disciples turned away from him. Many of those who saw these things turned away from him. And so this passage answers for us the question of what 
is the case, what happens to those who seem to be interested in Jesus, but ultimately turn away? We're going to take this passage in three headings, okay, three sections, three wrong things that these people are looking for. The first is that the people who leave Jesus, who come to him for a time but turn away, are those who are looking for the wrong kind of food. Okay, the wrong kind of food. Let's read 22 through 25. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So all these people were hanging out. They, they experienced the miracle. They knew that there was only one boat there and all the disciples got in, but Jesus didn't. And so they came back to that place to find Jesus. Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. They went across the sea seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So as this passage begins, what we see is that the people are coming to Jesus for food. Kind of simple. They're coming to Jesus because he had just fed them a free lunch the day before. And in light of that, they, 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 they want more food. Now, this doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? I mean, who doesn't like a free lunch? But we have to realize as we read this passage, what we begin to see is that the people who are around Jesus, they're not seeing things rightly. Even in the verses we read, if you notice, there's something miraculous here, right? Jesus didn't get in the boat. Jesus didn't go with his disciples, but the next day they, they all take the boats, they go across the sea, and they find Jesus there. Now, most of us don't know kind of the geography of Israel, but we know enough to know that you can't just walk around the Sea of Galilee in 12 hours. You can't just make your way around it. The only way across is on a boat, or in the case of Jesus, by walking on the water. There's something weird about this situation, but when the people see Jesus, all they can think about is, Jesus, when did you get here so that we can get what we want? And how do we know this? Verse 26, Jesus says, you aren't seeking me because you saw signs, not because you think there's something special about me, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What Jesus says is a rebuke. You guys are seeing something. You saw something yesterday. Amazing. There are clues about who I am being shown to you. But what you're looking for is to fill your own bellies. To fill your physical, material needs. You want someone to bless you in this life. You want that earthly, physical food. Now, don't rush by this fact, okay? Jesus' words reveal something amazing. The people who literally follow Jesus, in this case, they literally are searching for him. They got into boats to find Jesus. This crowd is full of people who are here to get something from him, but not to give him the response of worship that he deserves. And when you read this passage, it's an accurate description of the modern church these days. 
right? We follow Jesus, we sing his songs, we say his name, but oftentimes it's because of what he will do for me, not because of who he is. Jesus says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus points out that you want this physical blessing. You want this these worldly things, but that's not what you should be looking for. Instead, he says, you should be looking for the food that endures to eternal life, the things that do not perish, which the Son of Man will give to you, who is Jesus. Jesus points out that what they want can't last, but the things they need can come from him. And the question that it forces us to ask today is if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we say that we love him and we want him, why? What exactly do you want from Jesus? You know, these people, they weren't evil. They weren't nefarious. They just wanted another meal. But hear what Jesus is saying. If all you want is the physical blessings that God gives, this is all you're going to get. If all you want is the food that perishes, then that food will eventually perish. We need to examine ourselves. For some people, it is because of the family that God has given you, the success in your workplace, the job or the safety or the security in some way, that that you equate those things with God himself. But what happens when those things stop or are taken away? What is the state of our faith when the food of the world perishes, so to speak? What would happen if God took away from you that material blessing that you've built your life upon? If you no longer had that many cars or, or that type of job or that type of family? I think that it's easy to look at these people and think that we wouldn't be the same way, but the reality is so many in the church are just like them. We, we go looking for Jesus because of what we want him to give to us, what kind of worldly things we hope he will bless us with. When I was a pastor of a young adult group uh, in the past, uh, there were a lot of people who were starting their careers. And there was one guy in particular who I remember who, who lost his job for an extended period of time, which obviously was not what he wanted, what he was expecting. And when he lost his job, he began to, we would meet every week, and he began to talk with me about what he was thinking through. And as the weeks went on, as the months went on, what he began to say started to change. He started to say, I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God is no longer there. I feel like everything I thought about God wasn't true. And, and I asked him why that was, because nothing had changed about God's character. Nothing had changed about his theology. But what it had come to was that he equated God with the blessing that God had given him of a job. Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to feel at times distraught or, or to want something in your life. But if you believe that God has abandoned you because he takes away material blessings, well, then maybe we're not so different from this crowd of people who came to Jesus seeking the wrong kind of food. The person who comes to Jesus looking for material blessings primarily doesn't understand how God can be worthy of praise and worship if he doesn't give those blessings that we've come to expect. And ultimately, 
what happens is that those people will turn away. This leads us to the second point in verse 28. The crowd comes to Jesus, they're looking for the wrong kind of food. And as Jesus corrects that, we see that it's not just the wrong kind of food they're looking for, there's something deeper. They're actually looking also for the wrong kind of work. The wrong kind of work. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, that sounds like a good question after. If someone comes up to me and they ask, what, what must I do to do the works of God? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that, hey, they want to follow God. They want to learn about him. That's a good thing. But in this situation, in this story, it's not a good question. And Jesus kind of shows us that, but let me explain why. Okay. They come to Jesus. They say, hey, can you give us more food? Jesus says, that's not what you should be trying to get. You should be trying to get the food that will last forever, that the Son of Man can give to you. That's what you need. And they say, okay, then just tell us what to do so that we can get it. Okay, just tell us what to do so that we can get what we're trying to get. Tell us what God wants of us so that we can put it into the formula and get out the desired result. In verse 27, Jesus says that the Stuff that does not perish comes from where? It comes from the Son of Man. He will give it to you. But instead of asking how to receive it, they ask how they can earn it on their own, how they can get it on their own without him. In this one verse, we see what the Bible and what Christians have often called legalism, a focus on the wrong kind of work the kind of work that we can do that will make us right with God so that we can be safe and secure in our own performance and guaranteed to receive what it is that we've been trying to get all along. You know, growing up, my parents were, uh, were very um, into uh, self-reliance. That's the way I'll put it. <laughs> and uh, basically, I, I, from a very young age, uh, I would say around uh, six years old, I remember my mom um, making me start to do the laundry with my uh, siblings. And then uh, in second grade, so that's just like a year later, I remember we, we we used to go to school for lunch, and then she just stopped making our lunches. She was like, you got to make it yourself. Here's the bread, here's the meat, like do it yourself. So I was raised in this environment where you got to do everything on your own. You got to learn how to do it. And then when you do things well, you receive the benefits and the fruit of that. Now, there's something very good about that, about learning to work hard and enjoying the fruits of your labor. But at the same time, there's a danger here that we need to see spiritually for those who are looking for the work to do for God so that he'll give them the things they want. The danger is to see our relationship with God as a transaction instead of a relationship of grace. Jesus says, I can give it to you what you need. The implication is you need to ask for it. You need to receive it. But instead, the crowd says, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And the interesting thing about this question is that the focus is on them in the Greek. What must we do? You see, Jesus is saying the only way that you get what you really need that lasts to eternity is through him. They want this good thing. They want the good stuff, but they don't want to get it through Jesus. Right? They want to get the gift, but they don't really care about who the giver is. In fact, if they can get it on their own, then all the better, because it's going to be in their timing, in their way, in their convenience. 
It wasn't a question of true curiosity. What must we do to please God? It was a question about how can we do something to get what we want. See, we need to understand that in John 6, the bread that they had been given, the leftovers that they had gathered, all of it was meant to draw them to seek Jesus himself, to have a relationship with him, to listen to his words, to believe them and obey them. Jesus is saying, if you want what lasts, come to me. Come for me. But they didn't want it. And it's not because they don't like Jesus, okay? Let me get this straight. It's not because at this point, okay, eventually they're not going to like him. But right now, they love him. Right? He's a guy who gave them a lot of weight. He's a guy who gave them a cool experience. He's a guy who did something they'd never seen before. They're interested in Jesus. But they don't think they need him. They thought they could do the works of God on their own and receive the things that last into eternity. Verse 29, Jesus corrects them. He says, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So how does Jesus respond to the question? What must we do to to get these things on our own? Jesus says, this is the only thing you can do. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. They can't ever do what Jesus does, but they can believe. And what we need to see from this passage is what Jesus is saying is there's no way to bypass Jesus when it comes to our relationship with God and the things that we truly need. He is the necessary thing. Now, how does this relate to the church today? When I read this passage, I realize that we can be like these crowds in this way as well. We want the blessings of religion. We want the blessings of a relationship with God, right? That that he would give us these things, but we don't want to make our lives about him. There's so many ministries today that ask you to make a decision for God. Right, to just make this decision for God without ever telling you that the only way to be right with God is to surrender completely to him, to surrender all to Jesus. There are so many thousands, if not millions of Christians for whom the sum of what it means to follow Jesus is to tell me what to do so I can punch my ticket to heaven. Brothers and sisters, if that's you today, you need to realize that you're missing the point. It doesn't work that way. And if I'm honest, I do think that there are probably some here who are in that situation. And you might not even know it. You might not realize that this is the way that you approach God and Jesus. But the truth is, you don't think that you need Jesus. You don't. You don't mind him. You don't mind the church thing, but you don't think you actually need him. That there are other ways for you to to be an effective and fruitful human being. There are other ways for you to get in touch with the divine. There are other ways for you to, to be all about love in this world. Now, those things are fine. But none of those things can give you the eternal life that Jesus offers. You need to know that only the work of believing in Jesus matters when it comes to eternity. If you don't believe this, you'll never share the faith. You'll never evangelize. why, Why go mess with someone's life and tell them they have to change what they think and believe if not for the fact that they are in a burning house, headed for eternity, and Jesus is the only one who can save them. Growing up, I had, well, I still have a younger brother, uh, but growing up, my brother and I, we, um, we went to church together, 
And I remember when um, he was graduating college, yeah, he came to talk with me, and I was already a pastor at that time, so we, we sat down and we were having, I think, dinner at a restaurant, and um, he was telling me about how he was moving to um, a new city, and I was asking him about church, and he was saying, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to church anymore. And, and he was talking to me about uh, how he had kind of lost his faith and all the questions that he had about Christianity. And I was trying to give him the best answers that I could. And I think there are good answers to those questions. Um, but then he kind of asked me, why, why do you still believe? Right? Why do you believe? And that was a question that not many people ask you as a pastor. Right? They don't just come to you and say, hey, why do you believe in the gospel. Why do you believe in Jesus? And, and I remember sharing with him, and as I was trying to boil it down, it wasn't any of those um, other like proofs out there about like how the Bible is true in this way or that way. All those things are there. What it came down to as I was sharing with him was that the reason I believe is that at the end of the day, I know I'm a sinner. At the end of the day, what the Bible says about the consequences for my sin and who I am on the inside, everyone else doesn't know. They don't see what's inside of me. I know that I'm not right with God unless Jesus forgives me, unless I receive from him the one thing that I need, that relationship with God that comes through grace that is a gift. These people were looking for the wrong kind of work. Jesus says the only work is to believe in him. This leads us to the third point in this passage, the next Step. Okay, so they're looking for the wrong kind of food. They're looking for the wrong kind of work. And lastly, we see that these people were looking for the wrong kind of experience. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus says, you're, you're looking for the wrong food. He says, the work God requires of you is to believe in me. And so the people say in verse 30, well, then show us something cool. Show us something spectacular. And look at the word in verse 30, perform. Perform a work so that we can see and believe. The people following Jesus asked Jesus to give them a performance, to entertain them, to show them something so that they had no choice but to believe in that moment. But Jesus refuses to play the game. Jesus doesn't give them anything. In fact, he just talks to them. He, he, he tells them that they had seen signs. They had already witnessed his grace. As a people, as the people of Israel, as this group in particular, they had heard his teaching. In fact, less than 24 hours ago, they had seen a sign. Literally, they had seen him feed the 5,000. And so Jesus refuses their request. They didn't need another experience. Because Jesus says, if you're this kind of person, if this is how you think, another experience will do nothing for you. No matter what you experience, it will never be enough to satisfy you if Jesus himself is not enough. So I'm going to take a little bit of a freedom from the passage just to speak to the church today. If Jesus is not the reason you're here, then these experiences will never be enough. These experiences will never be enough to keep you close to God. If all you do is jump from one experience to the next, it doesn't matter. If you're not here for Jesus, 
You're here because that one guy was so nice to you, or, or you liked that one worship set, or you thought that that particular uh, statement was beautiful. Those things won't keep you close to Christ. It's only when you know you need Christ that you will stay following him. We have to realize that it's not like these people didn't see any signs. Again, they had just seen a miracle the day before. But for those who are simply searching for an experience to, to kind of push them up again for the next week or month, eventually they will fall away. For those who are looking for their own mini set of miracles to keep their faith going, instead of wanting to know Jesus, it will never be enough. See, what this passage shows us is so interesting because Jesus did do these miracles. Jesus did these things. He, he fed this crowd, and they, they saw it, and they, they came back. They told their friends, okay, so that's why all the boats come. They go, and the, the word spreads, and so more people show up to get the miracle. And yet, 12, 24 hours after, Jesus, show us a sign so we'll believe. What happened three hours after they ate their fill? of the bread and the fish. They were hungry again. Jesus says, those people who ate bread in the wilderness, even the bread God gave them, they too were hungry again. And not only that, they complained. They wanted meat. The people who saw Jesus' miracle, they forgot. They explained it away maybe, or maybe they just wanted more and more. And Jesus says in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You guys see what Jesus is saying again and again, what he's saying in this passage. All these people are here, they're following him, they want to know more about Jesus to some degree, but really they want to get something from him. He says, it all comes back to me, to Jesus. What you got in the wilderness from heaven wasn't the true bread of heaven. Jesus is the true bread of heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. When Jesus says you're looking for the wrong food, it's not because he wants to give you another type of food. He wants to give you himself. What you need is God. In the church today, we have a terrible tendency to want to manufacture experiences and to somehow make that the, the sum of the Christian life. That if you can just feel the right way when you go home on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday morning, then hey, that's it. You did it. You met God. Jesus says that's not the case. When you have God, you don't need all those experiences. Now, that's not to say you won't have experiences. Okay, don't get me wrong. You will. God will work in your life. We talked about that last time I was here, how God worked in Hannah's life to give her grace over and over again. But when you have God, you don't need those experiences to be filled. One emotional high to the next. How many people have grown up in your youth group and, and it's every year you go up to the mountain, you go to that retreat, and that's the day when you knew God. Because you sang a few songs and you cried a little bit of tears. Brothers and sisters, that's not what it means to have the fullness of life that Jesus offers. We want these spectacular experiences to keep us compelled for a season. But unless you see Jesus Christ and the gospel as spectacular, you will walk away from him. 
Jesus says, you want an experience of bread from heaven. What you need is me. An experience can't keep you from falling away. You need to be filled and satisfied with Jesus. The wrong kind of food, the wrong kind of work, the wrong kind of experience. So the question, of course, is then what's the right kind? Okay. What is the answer? I already said many times that is Jesus. Every point in this passage shows us that Jesus is talking about how we need him, how we need a relationship with God through the Son himself. And this is what Jesus explains finally in verses 34 and 35. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Okay, so they, they still think it's bread. And Jesus says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What we need is him. This explains why so many people are searching for the wrong food and the wrong work and the wrong experience, and they leave. They don't taste and see that Jesus is good. Listen, what this passage shows us and why it relates to what we're doing as a church with evangelism is that you can't have God. You can't have heaven. You can't have eternity without a love and a desperate need for Jesus. There are all sorts of people in this world, all sorts of people who seem to follow Jesus but will walk away from him. And how do you know that you're not one of those people? How do you know that you're someone who will follow Jesus to the end? It's simple. You believe in Jesus and you will not be content with anything else unless you have him. In John chapter 6, if you turn a little bit forward, verses 53 through 58, right before the disciples walk away, look what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The only thing in life that can give us the true life we need is Jesus. We need to Seek him in such a way that it is like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, this is a shocking statement. This is kind of weird, but I think Jesus said it for a reason. In fact, the people who, who heard him the first time, they thought it was weird too. But Jesus said it for a reason. Now, I mentioned in the beginning of this passage the Donner Party, right? Um, if you guys have ever heard of the Donner Party, the reason why they're famous is not because they, they took a long journey and it was hard. The reason why the Donner Party is so infamous in American history is because of the stories that started to come out after the Donner Party had made it to California. Stories that, as they started to piece together, seemed to show that the Donner Party, in their starvation and in their desperation, engaged in some cannibalism. That they ate the members of the party who had died. And this, of course, shocked people. It was taboo. It made them feel kind of disturbed by it, as it should. It's a morbid thing. Listen, what it shows us 
perhaps more than anything else, is desperation. Now, Jesus isn't being gruesome. He's not talking about literally eating flesh and blood. But this is his words, not mine. He says, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, then you don't want him as much as you think. That you don't need him as much as you need to. Unless he is the sustenance, the source of your life, you will walk away from him. What Jesus says in the end of this passage is that the difference between someone who understands the gospel in his mind and someone who sees the gospel as the only way to true life is that desperation for Jesus. The difference between someone who sees Jesus as one way of life and the person who sees Jesus' death and resurrection as the only way of life is that desperate need for Jesus. The difference between someone who will follow Christ for a moment but will then fall away and die and the person who will follow him now and forever into the kingdom that he has prepared is that desperation for Jesus. Not just to say his name, not just to associate with him, but to receive from him the forgiveness we need. To understand that his death, his blood and his body broken and poured out, that that was done for us. That he took the wrath that we deserve from God the Father so that if we believe in him, we can be washed clean. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together as a church. And this is what it's about. It is remembering what Jesus did, but it's about our need, our desperate need for him. The Bible says that there are many who will walk away from Jesus. There are many who seek the wrong kind of food, the wrong kind of work, the wrong kind of experience, and those people will walk away on this earth. And many of them will be cast out later. But for those who come to him looking for life, who come to him hungry for what he says we need and what he offers, well, for those of us who know who Jesus is, we can find life in the bread of life forever. And so that's what we're going to celebrate, and that's what we're going to remember, and that's what we're going to share together in communion. I want to pray for us right now as we prepare for that time, as we remember the gospel, and I ask that you pray with me. Father God, we come before you and Lord, I pray that as we partake of communion together, that the reality of what we are proclaiming would just be heavy on our hearts, God. Not heavy in a sorrowful way, but heavy in the way that what, what we are saying here, Lord, is that we are those who have clung to Jesus for our life and for our future and for eternity. That we are those who have given up hope in ourselves that we could ever do the work that would please you and, and, and make ourselves right with you, that we rely only in the work of Christ, that we're giving up the pursuit of the things of this world that ultimately perish so that we can have and receive from your hand the life with you that lasts forever.
that we aren't going to search for new experiences week after week and day after day, hoping to find a thrill, but that we come in faith knowing that in you, we have what our hearts were created for, that a relationship with you is more satisfying than anything that the world offers. God, these realities are not easy things to believe. They're not easy things to live out. And yet as Christians, this is what we say we believe. And so God, would your spirit be with us now as we partake in communion together? Lord, help us to rejoice together as we eat the bread and we drink the cup. Lord, as a church, help us to be all about Christ. Help us to cling to him, to be desperate for him, to love him and to worship him and to obey him, to receive from him your grace. Pray that your spirit would empower us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.